0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Erie here, Tim Stafford. We're, um, he is the co-host with the Co-Most. and um,
1: <laughs> I like it. I'll take it.
0: And we're just thrilled to be a part of your life. Thanks for tuning in. Today, it is gloriously 2022, and we just found out that we've lost meatloaf. Yeah. Um, that was the news that broke this morning.
1: Meatloaf, and then there was someone else right after
0: that. Louis Anderson.
1: Oh, Louis Anderson, that's, yeah.
0: Yep. So, moment of silence for Bed Out of Hell and Bed Out of Hell 2. Fight Club. Well, oh, What's the Fight Club reference?
1: He's in Fight Club. Loaf? Yeah, he's the big guy in Fight Club that oh, nice. grows, uh, grows breasts from his. Oh, okay. Some drug use. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, I don't think I ever saw it. You never saw Fight Club? No. Oh man, that's a you should watch it. Yes, it's a great movie. Well, thank you. That's part of like the Brad Pitt. uh, Remember we talked about how Twelve Monkeys or whatever kind of yes, had that time period that just like you're like, all right, this guy's a genius. And Fight Club was one of those movies that kind of came through after Seven and a couple other things like that.
0: Nice, sweet Brad Pitt sweet good old brad you know i just
1: want to i want to give him a shout out just in case no one is thinking about him right now (laughs) (laughs) no one's thinking about him and his beautiful face
0: oh my goodness speaking of shout outs (laughs) wow i've got some some folks to shout out today my goodness um thank you yes uh and one of the things i've been writing to people has just been you know this kind of generosity allows us to dream differently Yeah, for our future. And so thank you for that so very much. So Brenda, our unbelievably generous friend, has been generous yet again. Um, Our new friend, Mike, great name. Thank you for coming on the Patreon team. Eric, thank you for coming on the Patreon team. And Barbara, we need more Barbaras in the world. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I want to thank each of you for your generous and kind support. It, um, it really does mean a lot to us. And as we say, uh, we're a 501c3, which means we're a nonprofit. And so everything's tax deductible. Um, but we're also, we've also chosen to just be crowdfunded. And, yeah. um, and so thank you, for, thank you, crowd, for funding we really appreciate that. <laughs> We've got, man, we got a show today, Timothy. Yes. First of all, I want to read a, an email from a gentleman who is a combat veteran. And um, he offers some nuance on the last episode around capital punishment. Yeah. And um, I asked his permission to read this, and he was very gracious and very. Be articulate. I'll I'll literally just read the whole thing because it's funny too. Hello, Vox peeps. Hi. In your most recent episode, your topic was on the death penalty and you asked for different opinions on the topic. I enjoyed your conversation. Both you and your guest had well thought out and valid viewpoints. As a vet who'd been through combat and a Christian who attempts to live that out in view, um, indeed, I may have... Uh, a few points worth your time uh, or they could just be more heavily influenced by my experiences that I perceive they are. Anyhow, take it or leave it. I tend to ramble on so I'll use bullet points trusting you understand that I tend to be blunt and that in reality my views are not as rigid or unfeeling as they come across. So please round the edges off my points before you ingest them. I love mm. that idea. Yeah. There may need to be a warning label that says caution harmful if swallowed whole. amen Um, if you would like me to clarify any of my points I welcome it violence in Christianity is a topic that will confound me until the day I die I think Mm. if you guys ever get around to covering whether a just war doctrine is valid in your view or if so I would welcome your opinions but I digress oh wow so what a great yeah just war theory whoo so here begins the bullet points, and I thought these were just—I I loved hearing from somebody who's in the middle of wrestling this from an entirely different point of view. Yes, Americans by and large are ignorant and bipolar when it comes to bi- to violence. We think soldiers for their serv- service, then hang our heads in shame at the things we sent them to do. Hmm. The death penalty is, uh, in one way, an extension of our views on violence. Often we act like bloodthirsty pacifists. Mm. Um, There is a very strong argument for pacifism in Scripture, but you cannot have it both ways. Fair? There seem to be two distinct issues. This is bullet point number two, discussed in the podcast. One is whether the death penalty is ever justified, and the other is whether or not we do it correctly here in the U.S. to justify continuing the practice. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, Third bullet point, any justified use of violence is not necessarily a sin or evil. So keyword there is any justified use. However, uh, whenever it is required, violence, whenever it's required, you're essentially attempting to choose which not ideal solution is required in a horrible situation. Yeah we quite often choose very poorly the misuse of a thing does not necessarily invalidate the practice however new bullet point so there's nuance is what he's he's bringing yeah and 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 that would be are are there any justifications of violence that would be the point at issue and you know, very often we go to, well, if somebody was, you know, someone broke into your house and was attempting to right. kidnap your children, I wouldn't just sit by and allow that to happen. Right. Right? And and yeah. I agree. I would not sit by and allow that to happen. Yeah. Um so yeah. So anyway, there I love that we're just covering this from a different perspective. And I just I wanted to read some of the nuance. Uh, the death penalty I think if used should be an extension of any use of violence as a Christian not out of revenge or as direct punishment of a crime but it should flow out of love of neighbor if it's simply a punishment then you are missing the mark if it's done to protect others from harm I can find no issue with it that now that is a huge point when it comes to police or military is violence okay when done in protection of another yeah, huge, huge questions. Is life in prison the most humane option for all people? Our prison system needs fixing badly. Yes, for some to be put in a cage indefinitely with no hope is a fate worse than death.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, again, love, love, love the yeah, stuff. Yeah, we that didn't he's even get up. into
1: um, like prisons for profit and privatized prisons. We didn't even talk about that on
0: nope that episode. The death penalty carries great consequences for the victim of the crime, the one being executed, and the executioner. Yeah. Whoever make, makes that call better be damn sure they understand the weight of their actions, good, bad, or indifferent. These are few of the thoughts on the topic, and I could carry on for hours, but no one really wants that. Not even me. <laughs> I think the, at the end of the day, with all things considered, I fall in line with your guest. the death penalty is something that at least for now, is not something we should have as an option in our mm. current criminal justice system. Hope you guys all the best. I love you guys, and we'll keep listening. Man,
1: you know it's interesting. We've we've talked a few times about having a conversation about death and how Americans, American Christians, we just don't we have a really abstract relationship with death, and we don't think about it a lot. We don't talk about it a lot, and, and we
0: hide all aspects of it in culture.
1: Yeah, and, and it's the one thing that we all like for sure have in common. Like it's going to happen <laughs> to every single person, but we never, we have such a, and I wonder how that relates to this conversation too, just yeah. our yeah. our relationship to death. We had talked a long time ago about having a chaplain. I feel like we emailed with yeah, too, yeah, yeah, about yeah. having a chaplain a on to talk about ago. like that process of being with people bedside as people are dying. Yeah, in know, it's hospice. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think he was a chaplain in the military, or, or I don't remember, but yeah, yeah. just a, ve- a veteran. Um, as as this guy is, his understanding of death and kind of the not the complexities of this conversation. You yeah, know, his he brings a lot more to that than I would know to bring.
0: Yeah, so and especially especially the idea if if it's rooted in love of neighbor, which sounds contradictory completely. Right yeah because here's jesus dying for his enemies rather than killing them and so man that the pacifism conversation is ridiculously complex yeah it's really interesting so so i mean i i think from the scripture it's always wrong but to kill in rare times it is necessary you know I mean if if there's an Asian woman cuz there's all this violence against Asian people these days if there's an right. Asian woman that's getting pummeled by somebody randomly how how do you not just right you know and, and that doesn't that doesn't mean I'm I'm attempting to hurt but I'm trying to protect yeah you know what I mean so like there've been instances I mean we had a guy show up at um, my daughter's lacrosse game in Ohio. And it was kind of weird weather, and he shows up, and he's shirtless, and he's bleeding. He's got blood all over him. And um, he just walks. He climbs the fence and walks in the middle of the lacrosse game. And he's, he's holding his hand up. It's covered in blood. And he has a weird look on his face. And... Um, he, the trainer runs out to see if he's okay. And, um, I just had a weird vibe. So I start walking out onto the field, just kind of in dad mode. Yeah. Uh, and he tackles her. Your daughter? He tackles the trainer. Oh, the trainer. And tries to harm her. Wow. And so I, I obviously jumped in right away and, yeah. um, but but I was as I was thinking about it, I didn't try to hurt him, but I restrained right. him. Yeah. So I had like and he was high on I mean, he was so strong. My lord, he was ridiculously it, it was meth or speed or I mean something that had um made him indestructible in that moment. Um but I wasn't hitting him. I wasn't, you know, I was yeah. I was literally I had my well, I don't know why I'm even telling the story, but but I had my forearm across his face because he was—I thought he was going to try to bite me—and I'm laying nice. on him, all you know, 300 pounds of me, yeah—and um, I can barely hold him until some wow. other dads got there. But that's like, so I was reflecting about that. And I was like, would I have done anything differently? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I mean that's um, the nuance, right? That's the—it's this. Everything, everything requires you to interact with your heart and your head and it's hard to make these blanket totally like this is how you're going to handle every situation that arises
0: (laughs) yeah so what yeah was it violence yeah i mean there were times i was a chaplain for a police department way back in the day and there were times in protecting you would have to get into you'd have to push somebody or grab somebody or hold them or whatever obviously those were violent actions i never hit anybody yeah, I was never trying to harm, but I can imagine if you play that scenario out, there there are occasions where if somebody was, you know, doing something extreme and the only way to stop them was using, right. the kind of force that could potentially kill them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't justified isn't the word I'd use for that though. Right, I would grieve that. You know, I would right. never think, hey, that's. What God wants. And, and, and right. obviously he's not saying that either, of course. Right. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a tricky topic. And there are people, like Preston Sprinkle wrote a great book on pacifism, one of the best. It was called Fight. <laughs> um, and it's a really, really good book on nonviolence. And Jesus does, you know, when he talks about turning the other cheek in those, in honor shame cultures, that was way more active than passive. Right. There, there are ways to creatively resist. Right. Um, yeah. That our imaginations I, don't let us explore.
1: Yeah. When you explain, I remember being at um, the Young Life camp when you <laughs> explained that turn the other cheek, and every kid in that room was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> it's like you just watched a like a reverberate out of mind blowing. I was going to share this later, but this actually fits here. So, um, I yesterday in class every semester we watch. Um, you know david letterman has that talk show on netflix yeah um, yep so we watched the malala Yousafzai uh, uh uh interview in every class and i'm just like hey because the class is like you know you have to try to understand p- arguments and then how to respond and react mm. and whatever so like what is she advocating for what's her argument blah 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 mm. and we're watching and I, and I knew that we were gonna have this conversation today and i was like oh uh it hit me yesterday when i was watching it in the class that like she kind of modeled some of this stuff in a really interesting way that like in a in a function, and this is a spoiler alert, but like unity is kind of like a mindset and a practice. It's not just like an action. Mm. And she had these two things I thought were really interesting. One was hospitality, which I know like you've been real big on in like the last year or so. And she's Pashtun. And yeah. one of the things in her culture is like yep. you... Like, if you just show up to the house, they will just start making you food. Like, you're going to be fed and you're going to be taken care of. You don't have to ask for it. It's just a a given. But the other one is asylum, and not asylum just in the way that we think of it, but also, like, if you don't have somewhere to live, like, you lose your house or something, like, it's expected that you will just be put up until, Mm -hmm. like, indefinitely. You're welcome to just come in and live in it's part of an understanding and an inherent nature of just hospitality. Yeah. And I was thinking about that with unity where it's like this mindset that builds in and then affects actions later. Yes. And the other one was yes. when he was asking her about being shot by the Taliban, like her inciting thing that kind of made us all aware of her. Mm-hmm. And she, he was like, I would just want revenge, like vengeance. And she was talking about how the best revenge is forgiveness. And she went, this whole thing about forgiving the kid that shot her and like loving your neighbor and that kind of stuff. And I just was that mindset, uh, like it builds a platform to be able to have a unit, like a unified understanding with other people before you even attempt unity with people. Yep. Your heart and mind are already postured in this really cool way. And then it made me think of Jesus on the cross and like, Forgive these guys, they don't know what they're doing. Like, loving what does loving your enemy look like as a posture first and then as an action? Right. So, I thought that all all that stuff was really interesting because it, she's so young too, and she's just like killing. I mean, she's just so good about how she has postured her life. Her whole life, she's like, my life exists for helping girls get the access to education. She's like, that's it. That's what my life exists for. Wow. I was like, geez, my life doesn't exist for anything like that. My <laughs> life still exists for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. I yes, thought that yes, was yes. that kind of struck me yesterday before when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Have you have you ever seen the movie or read the book Lone Survivor? Mark uh, Wahlberg's I've seen in the movie. the movie. yeah Yeah, it's pretty I mean it's pretty brutal. But Um, An American soldier is saved by that Pashtun. Pashtun, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but an entire village rose up in defense of this American soldier because of that hospitality. I mean, it's It's we have no idea what hospitality meant um, in the you know, in the first century and today in the Eastern cultures. I mean, it is. Yeah,
1: that's what's so fascinating is since we don't have that understanding, so when we have conversations about loving your enemy or anything in this country, it's automatically filtered through a lack of that understanding. Right. And that's why I'm so interested here. Like, I'm interested to hear from the veteran because his understanding of, you know, what he's gone through in combat and that kind of stuff, he has extra elements to his Yep. Lens that he sees this stuff through that I don't have. Yeah. And that's why I really still want to hear from, you know, like the people that listen to podcasts in the other countries about their experience with hmm. Christian culture. Cause I only see yeah. American evangelicalism. So I don't know what French evangelicalism looks like or, you know what I mean? Like whatever, how that has played out in a, maybe a less political, less nationalistic way in other countries. Yeah. But it's helpful to have this broader understanding of things to i don't
0: know yep
1: i think it's interesting
0: it is so thank you man thank you for sending that in and giving us permission to use it really really appreciate your thoughts uh i've got a couple deconstruction stories um i'm just we're just committed to reading all of them that give us permission to do so we just think it's so important mike and tim I know this is from a a young woman. I know you're getting flooded with deconstruction stories, but I figured I'd throw mine in here too. And we're glad you did. Yeah. At the very least, it will be therapeutic for me. (laughs) And at the outset, I want to thank you both for being a safe place for me and others who are wrestling honestly. Man, you are so welcome, and we are so honored to hear from you. Uh, My story may be a bit different from others in that my deconstruction happened as a missionary while on the mission field. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Our family lived in Asia for 13 years in a location that is a hub for over 2,000 missionaries from around the world. After struggling with doubts about the existence of God for years, I woke up one morning tired of trying to convince myself he was real. I told him, I'm done. If you're real, come find me. Mm. I love that. This was the start of my deconstruction. You can imagine how completely awkward and painful it was to spend summers talking to churches and supporters while wondering internally if any of this was real. I didn't fit in our, any of our missionary... Uh, I didn't fit in our missionary community, and I didn't fit back home in American evangelical churches. Boy, no no doubt. A few years into my search, I realized that a large portion of my struggle was not with God, but with the American church and the narrow and destructive theology I'd been taught. Boy, yeah, yeah, she speaks for a lot of us. Everywhere I looked, I saw judgment, and I saw churches who loved, quote, good theology, parentheses, parentheses, translated as narrow and dogmatic, Mm -hmm. over love. I figured that if this was reflective of who God is, there was no way I would ever follow God. Yeah. After many years of reading, wrestling, studying, and dealing with the judgment on my own heart towards the church, I have found myself standing where I always hoped I might, out in the wide open places of grace and glory, as Eugene Peterson translates Romans 5.2. God is way better than I'd ever hoped, and the pain of deconstruction has been worth it. I hope I never stop deconstructing and reconstructing. I hope my heart forever stays open to the mystery of God and his incredible love, grace, and mercy. Amen. Amen. Man, wh- so well said. Uh, from a, a gentleman... I have loved your deconstruct- your discussion around deconstruction, excuse me. I grew up in a fundamentalist <laughs> church.
1: He personally loves your deconstruction.
0: Yes, well, that too. I remember in sixth grade that women were teaching our Bible class, but they all of a sudden could no longer teach it because one of the boys was baptized and he was now considered a man. Oh, and women were not permitted to teach men. Wow. The man who now began to teach the class was not very good. (laughs) I remember that one day he was teaching, and I thought I wasn't sure if I agreed with what he said, and I asked if there was another way to look at the passage. He told me in that class that I was not to question his authority. Dang. Wow. In my home, how to guarantee deconstruction, step one. (laughs) Um, Let's see. In my home, my dad did not go to church with us. He was a universalist. But we were allowed to ask questions. Um, at uh, church, we were not allowed to ask questions. During that time, we began a bus ministry. My Lord, this is a fundamentalist church. Yeah. Do you, were you, do you have any experience with bus ministries? No. Where they, just, they literally drive around and pick up people, often kids, to take to church and then drop them off. The schools can do it. Why can't the church is the idea. <laughs> During that time, we began a bus ministry. My mother and two other women led the ministry, wrote the curriculum, had, a, had the puppet stage built, dude. They in built the, bus? the puppet stage. I don't know if it was in the bus, but it was like where you would take the kids, you would do kind of puppet ministry. Um, it was, uh, they signed up bus drivers and bus captains. Bus captains are people who were in charge of the bus and picking people up. Uh, I know this uh, because we had a bus ministry back in the day. Uh, It was going great. We then had one of our members question if women could lead a ministry. The decision was they should not. A deacon was put in charge of the ministry a man, and it was dead in six months. (laughs) I'm seeing a theme here. With all these things and a few others, my deconstruction started at 11 or 12. No kidding. None of these kind of decisions made sense to me. We all believed that we were the only ones who had the truth, the only ones going to heaven. I spent a summer working with a lady in a book room of my father's or of the father's school. She was Presbyterian, someone I'd been taught was going to hell because of her wrong beliefs. But she turned out to be kind, generous, loving, praying, and scripture reading. Um,. I saw more God in her than most of the ladies I went to church with. In fact, the people in my church were some of the meanest people in town. Plus, my dad was seen as lost by most of the people I went to church with, but I loved his spirituality. Plus, he was a man who fought racism and worked to elevate women. So with all that, I questioned everything. No kidding. Oh, I did go through a phase of wondering if God was real, but all of this led me to a faith that is open and strong. I would not trade my deconstruction for anything. Isn't that a common theme? Yeah. So anyway, thank you uh, for sharing that with us. Thank you for sharing these stories with us. We we don't care that there are tons. We want all of them. Yes. We please. want all the stories. They're fascinating and they're helpful, and um, they teach and us. And you silk.
1: guys are putting flesh and blood on the other
0: side of this microphone, mm. which is mm-hmm. cool for us. So cool for us. All right. Now we're going to dive into possibly a five-episode series, all right? We've gotten two questions that have gotten the juices flowing here on the Voxology podcast. Um, One of them... Uh, was expressed yesterday by an email we received. We've not asked permission to read this, but it's generic enough that I think the question is okay to ask. And then I'm gonna read another question and we'll put those two questions together and then we will start talking. All right, Tim, can you read just the question part of that particular email?
1: So this list, he wrote in just kind of saying, hey, I, you know, resemble. it resonated with him kind of (laughs) some of the conversations about church and performance and different things and from various different series and the question was you know I would love it if you all spent some time discussing what church could look like how do we follow Jesus now in this context I believe a big mistake in deconstruction is people approach it individually not acknowledging their rootedness in historical evangelicalism or that following Jesus means being part of his body amen What's the, what's the flip of this?
0: Oh, so good. And this is combined with a question that I had uh, read to Gumbus, and, right. and then is going to kind of force a trajectory um, out of us that I think is so important to talk about. Burning question. So you'll remember this if you listened to that episode a couple episodes ago. You and Gomez and so many others are advocating for church, church unity. How in the world do we unite with racists, those who disrespect women, fail to care for the marginalized and oppressed, advocate, support, and attach themselves to Trump, fail to actively love and listen to and embrace LGBTQ community? As a follower of Jesus, to unite with everything opposed to him seems to be attaching oneself to evil. Worse yet, the witness to anyone... Um, the witness to anyone who doesn't follow Jesus is completely confusing and abhorrent. I have many gay friends and others in my life who have zero understanding of the love of Christ, mostly because of what they witness in the church. I'm deeply and profoundly struggling with the notion of unity. Am I to unite with a church system that doesn't actually reflect nor genuinely embrace the love of Jesus or sacrificial love of neighbor? Lots of lip service, oftentimes given to this, but no real fruit. Boom. Now, we got yeah. that one in December, December 1st. And I have been just noodling on that sucker sense. Because <laughs> um, I, I think that is the question. And then when you combine it with the question of, okay, so what's a church look like now? Exactly, yeah. Man, we got this stuff. It... It may be elementary to you, and so that's totally okay if it's elementary to you. Or it may be repetitive because we've talked about it very, especially early in the podcast, we've talked about it, you know, a number of years ago. Or um, you may not be, you know, a person that sees themselves as is having any sort of influence in a church community, and so why would this conversation matter to you? My response to all of those categories of people is simply this. This is some of the most transforming stuff I have ever learned about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to invite others to follow Jesus, and what it means to be in a community that desires to follow Jesus. So this, it's going to sound dry, and it's going to sound maybe repetitive to some of you who have been with us a long time. But this first one sets the stage, and I don't want to oversell this thing. I'm just saying is we have wrestled with how to embody new creation dynamics in the social reality that is the church. This is the answer I've come to. Yeah. All right. So we've got we've got work to do. So these are the next several are um, I don't know, they're gonna be thick. Uh <laughs> kind of like Tim's beard. That's right. Um and uh I don't know. For me, this has been transforming. Now, let me give some credit before I even get started. So, there was a guy named Paul Hebert. I think is how you pronounce it, or Hebert, um, who was a missiologist back in the day, and he applied set theory to missions using the language of bounded sets and fuzzy sets and center sets. And um, I got in contact with Hybert's work through a guy named Mark Baker. Mark Baker just wrote a book called Centered Set Church. Hmm. And I got an advanced copy of it. And it's, I read the article that he'd written about Hybert years ago. And so I've been, we, when, we, when we started Vox OC and I got a chance to like plant a church this was all the language and the stuff that we used and valued. Right. Um, so I need you to know I'm channeling these two guys with a bunch of my own experiences and thinking. All right. Uh, so you can I think it's Mark D. Baker, um, set theory, or you can get his book um, "Centered Set Church," or yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, so those are my. That's my credit. Um, they have stimulated my thinking. In some places, I'm channeling their thinking directly, in other places I've adapted it and am off roaming by myself. In this first one, though, I'm really close to, to them. So um we often talk about unity and 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 when I first got that question, so should we unify with these people? My initial answer was, well, it depends what you mean by unify with, right? What, what exactly does unity mean? Right, Unity is, is a reflection of group identity around something, right? To unify means we're in agreement around something. And um, you can be in agreement around all sorts of things. We can be in agreement that we're fans of the, of the band Pearl Jam, which we are in which agreement are. on. We could be in agreement that, um, and we not may not even know each other. We're in agreement that Costco is a great place to shop because we're there with memberships. So I already disagree. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, we could be in agreement that a certain theological persuasion seems more faithful to Scripture than another, right? I mean, they're they're just they, we could be we can be unified because of our blood. Uh, we're right. you know related. I mean, so unity, if unity just means alignment or agreement or what it is a group has in common, can be found a lot of different ways. And that's true in religion too. One of the ways that unity works in religious circles is by defining a line, uh, d- d- distinguishing between insiders or outsiders, or sometimes you'll hear like on fire Christians versus You know, all of those like mediocre Christians, lukewarm Christians. Sometimes the line will be used to define conservative, liberal, faithful, unfaithful, orthodox, heretic. Um, But there's unity often in defining yourself against another group. And it will be, it will be in some behavioral or some belief, some line that, that the group agrees on, separates us from another group. So, I remember being very young and going to church on Sunday mornings. We went almost every Sunday morning. And um, I remember picking up um, on the idea that the people who didn't go to church on Sunday morning were somehow not as good people. Like they they, they were fine. But like, I mean, uh, we would go to church so, so much. Um, that like the, the rare Sunday we would miss church, it would just it would feel weird and wrong, and then you'd see all these people out and about mowing their lawns or going to the grocery or just doing whatever, and and you you just kind of looked at them like these are the pagans, these are the unreached, these are the unchurched, right? So <laughs> so there was a line. I I uh, was influenced in thinking there that, that was a line. Did you yep. go to church on Sunday or not? Yep. And so unity there was built around all the people who went to church versus all the people who didn't go to church. Yeah. Right? There was that was a very simple line that you could see. And um, the line drawing seemed natural to Christianity. Right? It helped provide clarity, who's in and who's out. And it provided security, I was in. And it provided a, a sense, big or small, of self-righteousness. I was better. Yeah, yeah. And, and so line drawing has to have those three components. It has to be a clear line that allows you to distinguish people. It provides security because I'm in the in-group always. Yeah. My lines are always self-serving. Yeah. And it provides a sense of superiority. The insiders are better than the outsiders. All right? All right. So my very first experiences (laughs) with church were built on this. And as I've raised kids and we've done our best to talk about the beauty of Jesus, they've somehow picked up, no, churches are lines. Mm -hmm. If you are part of a church, gay people are bad. If you're part of a church, uh, the people that go to youth group are more committed than the people who don't and blah, 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 blah. So there is a sense of line drawing that I imbibed early on in my Christian experience. Yeah, And as, as you mature, um, the line drawing gets more nuanced, but it nevertheless remains line drawing. So I remember a time when I looked at line drawers as the bad Christians, right? The right. legalists is what we called them. The legalistic Christians. The people that drew lines were bad. Now, what have I just done, Timothy? Just reversed it i've drawn a line yeah i've drawn just a line against the lines yeah right i've done the exact same thing i've distinguished myself from others i'm secure because i'm on the inside and i'm superior because i ain't no freaking line drawer you just stepped to the other side of the line and then turned around and looked at that line <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but in my naivete i thought that what i was doing was not drawing lines anymore totally and then I realized that that the Christian community fractures into all sorts of things, like lines drawn around the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. Have you spoken in the gift of tongues? I would have people pray for me and ask me that. And then if I hadn't, I was on the wrong side of the line. Right. Right? The right side of the line were the Spirit-filled believers. Right. Um, I was not one of them. Um, I, I, there was a line that came across, you know, um, years ago about radical Christian living. You know, if you're, if you're in the suburbs and living comfortably, you're not a real Christian. Right. Another line. Or, or there are even lines now around social justice. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're not, I mean, I see this all the time on Twitter. If your pastor doesn't address X tomorrow, find a new church. Right. And what does all of that have in common? No matter how sophisticated we think it is, it's all line drawing. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And so, um, <laughs> so even in my enlightened perspectives, I was still doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and and that's man, that is so. That is the trick of um, of the way Christian unity works for the vast majority of us. Um, is we cannot conceive of any other way of defining who's in and who's out or who belongs to the group of us than by drawing lines. And so um, the natural response to the line-drawing crowd is to erase the lines, right? Yeah. And to just keep everything, it's like don't ask, don't tell. We're all in agreement we unify around the fact there are no lines and if there were we certainly would never push them on each other yeah you know what i mean so we're unified around we're not line drawers we're unified around um like uh, it's fuzzy set theory it's the idea that the group boundary isn't super defined so there are no insiders and outsiders there's just people right and that sounds super super attractive you know what i mean Yeah. Because who are we to judge other people? Um, The problem with fuzziness, though, is fuzziness rarely leads to a compelling life. Because you're kind of wandering. Yeah. You're just kind of ebbing and flowing. And humans were never designed to be 100% autonomous. Mm. We are communal creatures, and we are creatures who function best in structured community. It's just the way it is. And so... In fuzzy groups, the individual auto- the individual is autonomous, and their preferences, desires run the show. Yeah. And as long as my preferences align with your preferences, we're part of the same group. But the minute they don't, we're out.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a libertarian.
0: Absolutely.
1: Don't bug me. I won't bug you. What's yes. yours, yours? What's mine? Is yes.
0: Mine. Don't tread on me. Yeah. We don't do lines here. Yeah. You know what I mean? which is the hey.
1: hardest that's the hardest for me as we've said like just being a super introvert and you know and a four or five i don't it's hard for the hardest lesson for me has been learning how i am a communal entity even though i have extraordinary social anxiety
0: <laughs> yes 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 but you co- but but communal looks different from you for you right. than it does.
1: And so that's a hard. That's been a hard lesson and then muscle to develop. Right is because I my inherent response to community and that kind of stuff is to say no, thank you. I'm better on my own, and then put a period at the end of the sentence and just be like, "That's that was the conclusion of the story."
0: <laughs> not <laughs> and to broaden let me, it. Let me ask you: Are you better on your own?
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> right. So. But that was a hard thing to figure out that yes. even like depression, anxiety, things that will push you into isolation, uh, tend to feed those things. So it's you know, realizing that me isolating myself was making my anxiety worse or making depression worse, you know, that's a hard thing to reconcile. And then be like, Well, now what? Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good. Yep, yep, yep. And that's where communal can be expressed in so many different ways. We dare yeah. not ever like universalize it.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Cause communal can be, I have two tight friends and that's it. Exactly. C- communal yeah. can be, nope, I'm in a Bible study and I have a discipleship relationship with somebody and you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there is no doubt we, we are very familiar with the downsides of the line drawing crowd. Right. Whether it's the progressive version or the conservative version. Right, it stifles authenticity. It forces uniformity. I mean, all the things. It it fosters judgmentalism. But the fuzzy crowd isn't super helpful either, right? Because we don't function best um, apart from each other. Yeah. And um, unity just based around common affinity. um, That's that's just consumerism. That's not at all what's envisioned when we use the word church. or when paul uses the word unity so um so i want to illustrate this from i think a really clear instance in the scriptures of line drawing and i want to contrast that with how paul in response handles he doesn't how he handles line drawing he doesn't go fuzzy he does something entirely different and that sets us up for where we're going to go gotcha all right so Paul is uh, writing in Galatians and he's relaying to the Galatians a story about a Christian community in Antioch. Antioch, as far as we know, was the first mixed ethnicity Christian community. It was the f- first time they were called Christians, I think, it was there. Okay. Um, and it it had a robust fellowship of Jew and Gentile, which was very, which was not common at this point. up until this point christianity was very much a jewish uh religion right and so non-jewish people we call them gentiles or they were called gentiles anyway and jewish christians were fellowshipping together and sharing a common table what the central practice of the early church was a common meal and it's what we would call communion but it was literally just a meal that you ate in honor of jesus and it was very long and it was, you know, it was supposed to reflect all these new creation dynamics. So Paul talks about how the the Jerusalem church was headed by Peter and others. Um, they were coming down to Antioch to investigate what was going on there. You know, part of their job as apostles and leaders of the Jerusalem community was to ensure, the alignment with what was happening out in the world, with what Jesus, the vision that Jesus had given them, that they were just beginning now to understand. And so, Paul writes in Galatians 2, when Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And you're like, oh, whoa, Peter's like a big deal. For before certain men came from James, another leader of the Jerusalem church, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, backstory, we find out that's a really big deal for Peter. Because Peter, as a very, very Orthodox Jew, was never allowed to eat with Gentiles. And so he even, we even hear about how much God has to speak to him. Because right. remember, eating back then... Um, was a concrete example of acceptance and sharing of status. It was far more than just catching a meal together. It was a, it was a social reality. You performed your social status when you ate a meal. Yeah. So whoever you shared the meal with, that was a social statement you were making. So, so one of the ways Jews separated themselves from Gentiles is they would not share meals with Gentiles. Yeah. Jesus did and, of course, got all sorts of crap for it. But Peter needed convincing. And so when you go to the book of Acts, there's this guy named Cornelius who has a vision, who is a God-fearer. He has been worshiping the God of Israel, but but God is now revealing to him, well, the God of Israel is made manifest in and through Jesus of Nazareth. And um, and so Cornelius is is told to send for Peter. Now, Peter is not ready to have a meal with a Gentile. So in Acts, about noon, Acts 10, Peter went up on the roof to pray, right? So they prayed several times a day. Noon was one of those times. He became hungry wanted something to eat. So he's thinking about food. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Now, if you 've got your Old Testament ears on, not all of this is edible for a Jew like right. Peter. then a voice said, uh, told Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat so the the command to eat would have gone against what he understood Torah to be, yeah, surely not Lord I've never eaten anything impure or unclean now the first thing God says back is, don't call me surely the second <laughs> thing God says back is do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, what? Yeah. What? You talk about deconstructing? What? This happened three times. All right? And, and it says while Peter As was... everything w-
1: does with Peter every time. Oh, it takes yes, three.
0: Yes, repetition. <laughs> while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, because it wouldn't have been immediately clear to him. Yeah. The man sent by Cornelius found out where Peter was staying. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And then Peter shows up at their house. He sees that they're Gentiles. And he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew... (laughs) to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. All right. So for Peter to show up to Antioch and to share a meal with Gentiles, right, is a big deal for Peter. Yeah. It took this vision three times. God sending people (laughs) over. Another vision that said, hey, these dudes are for me. And then when you read the rest of the story, the Holy Spirit, before Peter even finishes his little spiel, yeah. the Holy Spirit shows up in such a powerful way that Peter can't even argue with it. Peter gets crap from uh, from other leaders in the Jerusalem church and has to defend the fact that the Spirit <laughs> has been poured out to the Gentiles. All right? Yeah. Yep. Now, this is all ethnic. This is not religious. Mm-hmm. All right? This is a huge deal. Huge deal. So when Paul is relaying a story about Peter eating with Gentiles. The first thing is like, okay, it took a lot to get Peter there. Yeah. All right. Now, Paul goes on in Galatians, which I need to re because I lost my spot. He says, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And you're like, what? Who are you, Paul? Peter like walked with Jesus and did the water thing and whatever else. And then he says, but before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, the circumcision group was the group of Jews, as far as we know, who said Jesus is a Jewish Messiah And for Gentiles to follow him, they must themselves embrace the Torah, particularly the boundary markers of Judaism, which were Sabbath keeping, dietary restrictions, and circumcision. Okay, so the circumcision group was the group saying that it wasn't enough just to have faith in Jesus and be baptized, but that you had to take upon yourself the yoke of Torah. Yeah, those are the guys you didn't
1: want to hang out with at a party.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) we see why peter was afraid of them yeah <laughs> right they, they'd given him all kinds of crap yeah and um and so they split so the love feast the common table the sign of their unity now became a sign of their disunity and a line was drawn yeah and that line was circumcision and, and circumcision stands for a lot more than just circumcision but the line was circumcision. For me, the line was, did you go to church on Sunday? For them, the line was circumcision. Yeah. The other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas is one of the really good, good guys. Mr. Hospitality. When I, Yeah, he's the guy that stood up for Paul back in the day when Paul was like a raving lunatic. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, and we don't have time to explore why this is the jab that it is, but you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, Peter Paul goes on, and, and we don't have time to look at all that he does here. Um, Galatians is a, is a tough, tough book to get at what Paul's arguing. But um, he ends up saying in chapter 6, at the end of all these ins and outs, um, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Hmm. Now, what he does is he knows anytime there's a line drawn, um, you have the Jews and the Gentiles, and now circumcision is the line. There can be another group that comes in and that judges the line drawers by judging another, by creating right. another line. Just so, fracturing and fracturing and fracturing. Totally. Fracturing. So he he's suggesting that there was a group that was the anti-circumcision group, right? So yeah. we oppose the circumcised group and draw a line against them. Right. <laughs> and that's why Paul says this amazing thing. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, which... I mean, we, we just can't even... But he's built up to this. This is one of his punchlines. We can't appreciate how significant this is. Yeah. None of your lines matter. What matters is new creation. Yeah. And what new creation meant for Paul was this unified table where Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians ate together. All right? So, we have one example of me drawing lines. We have an example in the New Testament of line drawing and both of these examples are designed to ask this question. Is there a different way to do this? And and ultimately we're trying to answer the unity question. Is right. there a different way to express unity than by having to have an enemy? Right. And by having to draw lines.
1: So that's our current definition. Correct. Which has been the catalyst for so many of the deconstruction
0: emails absolutely absolutely and i'm guilty of all of it because i i love judging the judgers which immediately brings me into their company right <laughs> you know what i mean i mean there's yeah but we we hasten to add but there is a point though where you resist that because it's not in truth in line of the gospel so how does paul say that's not that's not okay. Right, without introducing more lines right right and that's the question like the young lady the young woman was asking right is i'm supposed to unify with people who think women are second-class citizens who are who are white supremacists who are full of christian nationalism like what what and what i want to begin to argue is that still we're still line drawing there even in the way the question is framed, because we, in my imagination, I have no other way to frame the question. Unity just means the group of people that we all decide are in based upon some standard. The problem as you grow from sort of that elementary view of, well, do you go to church on Sunday or not? As you grow, you realize all the Christian groups have different lines, and, yes. they, and, and and the lists are different. And, and you're like, okay, so there that's has right, t-
1: 50 different denominations in my newspaper in my small town.
0: Okay, that's like just insane. different.
1: You know what I mean? Well, out of 50 is probably exaggerating, but I remember doing that with, when I was a youth, youth pastor trying to talk about this with limited knowledge and just saying like, here's the Church of Latter-day Saints that you know, the Mormons have one uh, ad and Jehovah's Witness have one ad. And then you get to the Christian, yep. it was a page of different like, or do you think this way, 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 this way.
0: Yep. Pick your club. All right. So ten more minutes on this, and then we'll wrap it. So With I a want red to introduce bow, a nice little red bow. Oh, we're just such big fans <clears throat> of red bows. <laughs> Tim has made some uh, diagrams that are gonna be in the show notes and that we want you to download and Observe as we talk through this next point. All right. So download these things if you're able to do that, um, and they're adapted from Mark Baker's book. Tim made them cooler because that's what he does. Um, and um, and so I'm going to talk through a block of content that are illustrated in these drawings. So or in these graphics. So when you get a chance, pull the graphics up. And I think it'll make sense. And for some of you, you'll put them on Instagram. No, on the gram. On the grams. All right, so we want to talk about the difference between bounded sets, center sets, and fuzzy sets. This is what Hybert did. and asked In trying to answer the question, how do we know when someone's a Christian? Is it when they pray the prayer? That's a line. Is it when they're baptized? That's a line. Is it when they go to church? Is it when they give? Is it when they pray? Is it when they share their faith? Is it when they're in their small group? Is it when they're baptized by the Holy Spirit? Right? I mean, all the lines exist in trying to answer that question. <laughs> so um, what Mark Baker did is take this differentiation between center set, bounded sets, and fuzzy sets, and apply it to churches and how churches work and function. Yeah. So I want to define these terms and then that'll be the end of episode one of the five. And then next week, we're going to talk about what bounded churches look like, what fuzzy churches look like, and what centered churches look like. Okay. And then we're going to go from there into what church discipline looks like. Like how do you define sin? (laughs) And then from there, we're going to talk about the difference between clarifying the center versus clarifying the boundary yes and then we're going to talk about uh, the last one i think will be a conversation about what are the dynamics that what are the new creation dynamics that foster centered church nice and that gets to the answer to the two questions right how do i unify around people who i vehemently disagree with and that i would say are sinful and then, secondly, what does it look like to actually do church in a reconstructed kind of way that can yeah. always easily turn into? Because one of the answers is anything that's centered, as we'll see, can be turned into boundaries. It's yes. just, it's so easily what we do. Yep. That this is a constant. It's like what you were saying earlier about a mindset, right? Yeah. Unity is a mindset and it's a behavior. Yeah. But if you separate those things, then the behaviors just become the new lines.
1: Yeah. That was part of one of the things that Malala said too, is she was like, I, it's about forgiveness and it's not about the, she's like the kid that shot me in the face. He was my age and he thought he was doing something really good. And he thought he was doing, he was expunging a great evil. Yes. And she's like, I don't begrudge him for that. I forgive him. I'm at war with the ideology because if the ideology isn't changed, then the actions are never changed. It just will perpetuate itself
0: forever. Yep, exactly right. Smart kid. Yep. So so let's talk about what bounded sets are, all right? Bounded sets, fuzzy sets, center sets. Fuzzy wuzzy wasn't very fuzzy wuzzy. You are fuzzy. Um, Bounded sets have a clear, so it's got to be clear. It's static, meaning it does not change. Boundary line that allows for uniform definition of those who are within the group okay so it turns unity into uniformity in at least one respect right so whether that's you got to be baptized to be a part yeah. of our thing you you got to go to church on sunday morning to be a part of our thing you got to be circumcised to be part of our thing it's applied to, to inside everybody this boundary. yes and remember, it provides clarity, who's in, who's out. Security, yeah. I'm in. A clear boundary line. And then superiority. Or a brick wall if you're looking at the picture. Yes, if you're looking at the picture, it's a brick wall. All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. So a bounded set is a, is a set of character, essential characteristics that every member of the group must share in order to be a part of the group. All right now, now this isn't, these aren't bad. We have bounded sets and bounded communities all the time, right? Costco membership, a bounded community. You've got to go pay money, get a card, show the card and then check out with the card. That's right. Right. So, so, and bounded doesn't mean boundary boundaries can be really good things. Right? So bounded is about how you use boundaries. Okay, boundaries yeah. themselves can be good or bad. Yeah. Boundedness means you're focusing on the boundary and using it to place exclude. people into, yeah, to exclude, to alienate, to judge. Yeah. Right? All of this, these are super important clarifications. So, so, the example that Brown uses, both in his article from years ago and in his book, is of, of soccer. So, a bound, an example of a bounded soccer team or a soccer game is a soccer league. You've got to try out. You've got to demonstrate abilities. You have to be invited. You have to accept. You get a card because you have to have your birth certificate. You get an ID. You pay dues. You get a uniform. Not everyone is accepted, and there are only a few of you, and the few of you are all wearing a uniform. Bam. That's a bounded soccer team, a bounded soccer game, right? Right? And, and again, that's not, that's neutral. That's just, that is what it is. But a bounded right. set is a set where every member of the group has to share the same essential characteristics. Right. All right. And, and, and as we've said, I'll keep saying it, there are times this is very, very appropriate. And there are other times when it's very negative and problematic. We'll see how the religious impulse often turns bounded or boundaries into boundedness. in a really negative and ugly way right now so the bounded sets are are defined by the boundary um fuzzy sets in response to judgmentalism or the exclusion are sets that don't have a clear boundary their their solution is to erase all the lines to not have a very defined group and so, um, in, a, in, a, in a fuzzy set, an example is um, I've been at, I, so I've taught at summer camps uh, of high school students and middle school students. And all, every summer camp has like a morning meeting and an evening meeting, and then a bunch of free time in the afternoon. And at this particular camp every year, they, they had soccer goals. And, and there would be a few people playing soccer between these two goals. But because the soccer field was also the big play field, there were games of football going on. There were games of Frisbee golf going on. People would play a little bit, and then they would just sort of disappear into the (laughs) ether and do something else without telling anybody. Um, Or they would just join in on a specific team. You never knew who was on your team or not. I mean, it was just totally chaos. It was soccer-esque, but certainly not like the bounded group where it was really clear who was in and who was out and there was an essential commitment um, to a a set of characteristics that defined who was playing this was just as the name implies fuzzy wuzzy (laughs) and so the grounds of distinction in fuzzy sets are on purposely very very vague Um, so you can't really tell. Now, we're going to get into the fact that sometimes fuzzy is good and sometimes fuzzy is bad in the right. same way that sometimes bounded is good and a lot of times bounded is bad. But the answer and the big point that that Baker makes is that both fuzzy and bounded are still marked and defined by lines. Right. They're on the same continuum. They're operating in the same paradigm. One says the unity is in the line, the other says unity is not having a line, but they're still line-focused. Right. Okay, that is an absolutely critical point to understand. So, he, inter- he introduces something called centered sets. And again, if you look at your third diagram, the first diagram is people building a brick wall to, keep, to define their in-group. The second diagram is people tearing down a brick wall. And the third diagram is of a well... And with arrows of people moving towards the well or away from the well. And let me explain how centered sets work. Centered sets have directional and relational bases of evaluation. In other words, in a centered set, everything relates to the center rather than the line. So the group, the group isn't made up of all the people who share certain characteristics the group is made up of all the people who are turned towards the center regardless of how close they are to it right so in our soccer example all right a bounded soccer game is the league the fuzzy soccer game is oh my goodness dude anyone can show up to this thing goes in and out Uh, a centered soccer game is hey i send an email out to all my friends and say hey at 3 o'clock on this particular day, we're going to go play soccer at this field. And that the people who show up are part of the group then of people playing soccer. And the center, it has a center. The center is soccer, right? right? But it hasn't tested for ability. You don't have to pay anything. You don't wear a uniform. It's invitational and it's relational. You just have to come. You just have to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're part of the group that shows up, you're part of the group. Right. Because you're coming at three o'clock to this park to play soccer. That's the center is that. So contrary to the fuzzy group, this does have a defined center. If you show up to play rugby, the group's going to look at you and say, I'm sorry, we're playing soccer, right? If in the middle of the soccer game, you pick up the ball and start running with it, the group's going to say, no, 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 we agreed that we were playing soccer. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. The center is the fact that we're playing soccer, but there aren't any boundaries to it other than you're welcome to show up and play. And if you do, then you're part of the group. Even if you're not close to a good soccer player and you're far away from being a good soccer player, if you show up to play soccer, you're part of the group playing soccer. Make sense? Yes. Yes. So important to understand how that works. And so some people may be far from the center, but moving towards it and some people may be close to the center but moving away so what is not happening and if you're confused by this and like well can't you turn the center into a boundary well of course you can but we'll get into all the ways this is different Um, i'm just trying to introduce the concepts right now Um, the center set isn't on the bounded fuzzy continuum because it's not focusing on lines at all It's simply saying hey whoever wants to play soccer show up and we'll play soccer Yeah. yeah and this is what we're doing if you want to be part of it great if you don't great but there's no a there's clarity in the sense that well we're playing soccer and not rugby b um there is not a lot of security i mean although if you are playing soccer you know that you're playing soccer But the thing that's particularly lacking in that example is any moral superiority over the people who are not part of the group.
1: Now what happens when you send the email, people show up, and Jack shows up, and Jack won't play soccer with, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't look like him. Yes. He's on the field, he responds to the invitation, he's on the field, but he But he responds
0: in a bounded way.
1: Yes. How, the, do the, how do the people that are there that are not being boundary focused speak to? Because I, I think that's kind of her question originally, right? It was yep. like, how do I, yep. how do I relate that to these people that won't? we will be
0: episode three. Gotcha. In Stay our five-part series. But the, I, but the idea is, I mean, the idea is the same way you would relate to a family member that says, I don't want to be a part of this family. Right. Right? You love them regardless you give them you know there's no coercion manipulation there's no line that says you know so if somebody said well i'm not going to play soccer with that guy you'd look at them and say well I totally understand that that's totally within your right but we've all come to play soccer yeah and if you self-select out because people will, will do this in bounded ways just because that's all we know okay right. but that's not us making an arbitrary line that's you making the line and that's the difference yeah the organization tries to repent of line drawing and its focus is on clarifying the center rather than clarifying the line yeah and so in the christian faith of course the center is jesus of nazareth And so, bounded churches are focused on doctrinal statements and lists of rules and guidelines. Fuzzy churches are against bounded churches, and pretty much it's don't ask, don't tell, do whatever you want, right? Laissez-faire, if you will, libertarian, to use your word. Centered churches are churches that simply invite people to come and see the beauty of Jesus. Yeah. And... And, and But then that raises a thousand questions. Well, what about, what about, what about? And that's what we're going to spend the next several weeks on.
1: Yeah, and, I, and it's so interesting how, like we were talking before we started recording about working out and how I always hated working out because I didn't understand it. So I couldn't do it correctly. And because of that, I didn't I didn't appreciate the process. But now I'm working out with someone who's helping me understand how to do it. And I've grown an appreciation and I like it. Yeah. Shout out Mr. Joey. And But there was like a... I had to be a part of this thing too for that attitude to change. Yep. And no matter how much people said working out's really great for you. It, I, I needed to kind of just like be obedient to the understanding that it would right. change for me. Right. And when I think about like the death penalty stuff that we talked about last week, um, when you see some of these guys in the prison and they have these old swastika tattoos or they have these old gang tattoos That they, you know, over time, as they're around all these other people, that they have committed these hate crimes again, so that they they've had this uh, system that has built into them these this um, ideologies towards other people, and in being around people that you had grown to believe were less than you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, you watch them change, and you watch them have those tattoos removed and you watch them make these new relationships and you watch their hearts change, you know, people that are part of those groups that, um, these individuals like expressed hate towards, you know, some of those people walked with these guys and they changed their hearts. They softened their hearts. They, they caused a change in somebody who, um, held and perpetuated a belief system that harmed them. And I find that so compelling. You know, it's seeing love your enemy at work and the effect that it actually has. I'm just trying to think out loud about... And I know you said already that we're going to tackle this more in the third episode of this series. But I just keep thinking or processing out loud how we interact with a bigot or a misogynist or... um, Not interact, or how we... Coexist
0: or I don't know you know so tim i totally I totally agree um and, and, and we have to reinforce the idea that that um with the center set, your relationship to the center is what's at issue, and there isn't right. a uniform relationship to the center, right, so on bounded sets or even fuzzy sets there there is an essential characteristic that characterizes. Each same with center set right the, the yeah. characteristic is, but but um, it's not line focused; it's center focused. Yeah. And so the idea is that what we're doing um, is exposing people to the beauty and majesty of Jesus, regardless of what their personal doctrinal statement is, or regardless of what their individual morality is like. Yeah. Um, we're just simply holding up Christ and saying, "This is what we do." Right. And. Um, Obviously, if you want to play rugby in the middle of a soccer game, we love you and go play rugby. God bless you. Play rugby to your heart's content. <laughs> but for us, the center is Jesus. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I love. I, I Peter and Paul are such a like uh, buddy cop movie that I'd love to see. They're, they're just such a dysfunctional sitcom. Oh my couple. goodness, so good. And I this that story the centurion. Um, I, it's one of my favorites, and I yeah. love how, and I love how Peter. Every way that he responds in that entire story is just like. I mean, it's consistent. Obviously, if anything, he's consistent in how he reacts to like, oh no, we would never do that. I'm a yeah, and, and God has to be like, listen, ding dong, yeah. But he, but he always immediately is like, okay, and then turns and engages in what he's being asked to engage in. But there's always that moment of like. No, of course not. And the God's like, oh, but this is what it is. And he's like, yes. oh, okay. And then he walks in like, hey, guys, I guess this is what we're doing. Whereas Paul's just like, all right, this is, this is what we're going to do, guys. Yeah, like, you don't understand.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and notice, I mean, what, what Paul does there is this beautiful thing of, he doesn't draw a new line.
1: Yeah, it's genius.
0: But he focuses on the center, which for yeah. him was the message that Jew and Gentile are justified together now. Not yeah. on the basis of Jewish identity markers. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting. And so it's totally center-focused. So all that is to say, if you're confused, we're going to noodle on this. For me, though, this actually helped um, capture new creation dynamics and how they play out in a church.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good foundation to start to build off of.
0: Yeah, and that's all this was meant to be. To so
1: possibly reconstruct off of.
0: Ooh, ooh. So anyway, friends, I hope this made sense. Ask clarifying questions um, or give us your thoughts. And uh, again, we're just thrilled to be doing this. But this is where we're going to camp a little bit—is on this idea, and then try to work it out into very practical postures um, of how churches might function. So. Yeah. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Now you're about to hear Tim's very dynamic and weird sounding close that involves thank you, thank you, thank you, thank Thank you." you.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials, facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the
0: long road with us.